around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from those great, great guys that brought you the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. They who are the hosts of the greatest generation. <laughs> I'm Adam Franica. Adam, we just binged the first chunk of season one of Discovery in anticipation of Discovery coming back. Yeah, how many, how many did you watch in a single day, Ben? I watched all of them in one day. Jeez. A marathon. I did four... Uh, the day before yesterday at five yesterday, so I didn't quite I didn't quite crush them the way you did. Were you just um, were you like a a Wally person, just <laughs> just big big drink and you know bag of chips and I was shopping by and large on my phone <laughs> and uh, and watching all of the episodes of Disco. Yeah, well, how did you like binging it? Or should we save that to the end? I mean, this is kind of a an unstructured bonus app, so yeah. I don't know that we're gonna like go through the whole thing. Let's uh, let's be unstructured then, if that's yeah. Fuck structure, man. You know, like one of the feelings I had as that that set in very early on was how much more enjoyable it was to watch the second time through, and not. And I'm saying that not because the show was better, which, by the way, I. I I did enjoy it the second way through. Yeah. You know, not to bury the lead or anything, but <laughs> but because like I could watch it and enjoy it without studying it for a show. Like yeah. I, I noticed a lot more shit the second time through because I wasn't so concerned with story, which I had to be concerned with if we were going to do a recap show. I think that the thing about doing really old TV, which we do for The Greatest Generation, is that we have, like, there are, like, a million plot synopses all over the internet for every episode we potentially do, so we right. don't have to, like, keep super close track of that as we watch it. Um, I also, like, in in rewatching it, noticed that we definitely got some, like, some, like, plot beats wrong yep. when, we, yeah. <laughs> when we recorded our first nine episodes of this show. This could easily be an episode that's just stuff we got wrong. Yeah, it, it made me nervous to go back because I'm like, oh, like we're just putting on the record like our misunderstandings of things. <laughs> you know one thing that I that I still maintain we got right even though we got a ton of shit for it is I believe Ash Tyler is fucking Laurel and that is not a rape scene. I still maintain that that's the truth and in rewatching it I I believe it again. I was very sure of that position I'm less sure now. Like I think that's a testable theory. I think we'll find sure. out more about that in in the back 9 or the back 5 or whatever it's going to be. I can hold the idea in my head that the fucking takes place before Ash Tyler is reprogrammed. And and that he's Voke in that moment, like he's Voke in a human body, and they're doing it to try out his new body. I believe that that is a consensual relationship happening at that point, and it's the it's almost like the disgust and the nightmare of of Ash waking up the next morning is evidence of his reprogramming. Like he can't believe 
Like there's something unbelievable about that to him. And that's the conflict that he's trying to get over. The way he talks about it is he made a conscious decision to submit to this. Yeah. But the whole lead up all like, which is not to say that it's consensual. It's that he's making a conscious decision under duress that if he, if, if he puts up with this, then he won't be killed, which is, you know, a horrible thing to contemplate. And if that's the case, like, I, I think that's, that's like a like a really dark turn for this show to take and and not something that I want to take lightly but the whole theme of the show leading up to it is all about katras and like yeah. like contact and one thing that i noticed in the rewatch that i wouldn't have noticed before now is that that first time michael burnham and ash tyler meet like she sits down at the lunchroom table and immediately goes into a seric coma. Yeah. And that's the episode where she's like finding out that she, you know, almost got into grad school, but then Spock took her place. Yeah. Um, that moment like is more interesting to me now in this, in the rewatch, because it's like, is there something in Ash Tyler's aura that like kicked her into Katra land? Like, was Sarek actually reaching out, or was was there something, like, coming off of Ash Tyler that, like, knocked her into the Katra plane of reality, and Sarek is, is, you know, who she contacts when she goes there? That wasn't the only time that that happened. And it's interesting that you bring it up, because uh, when Ash Tyler goes to planet kool-aid sneeze with saru (laughs) and saru gets all blissful about wanting to stay and that's the episode where ash sort of tries to delay saru from finding out that michael burnham is is going to the the communications post like he's he's stalling him and saru looks at him and is able to see into his mind that he is like he's getting one over on him and he's a liar, but he's not specific about what he's lying about. Yeah. And that could just as easily be the existential lie of Ash Tyler not being who he says he is. I think all that is to say, like, <laughs> and I don't want this to just be us defending ourselves, sure. but I, I think that like when when folks... We got like a kind of uh, a wide gamut of comments about our last episode... Uh, which ranged from like, gosh, I was really surprised you didn't see it the way I saw it, to like, I can't believe you guys just just breeze past this horrible thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're such monsters. And it's like, that's like that that like internet comment thing where sure. like if somebody doesn't see something exactly the same way as you, it just seems impossible. And it's the most narrow context too. It's I only listened to the one episode and this is how I'm judging you versus like <laughs> 200 episodes of of pretty substantial anti-rape sentiments from from yeah. your friends Ben and Adam. I think we've made a point of uh, <laughs> of not being on the wrong side of that. Yeah. And I think that the way we have watched the first 9 episodes for the show is different from the way we would be watching if we were just watching for Wally person reasons sure you know i like if we're wrong that we hear about it right away and that is a that's an opportunity to to recognize our wrongness and that that is not something i'm resistant to at all but like yeah when we're just freeform speculating on stuff i think 
this is a sandbox for you and I to talk about what could be happening and it and in in so doing we're not making the case for one thing in a way that like supports something awful like right. this is not the reason we make this show we went in knowing that if we made bad calls like it would be clear you know a few episodes later whether that those bear out we have engaged the Klingons 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 those Klingons what the hell is going on on this ship haven't the slightest idea so like I, I guess like for me the two themes that emerged in the first nine episodes are this kind of Katra soul linking thing like uh, there's a there's definitely a moment where Stamets is like cool there's there's a way for there's also like in addition to the spore network there's a way for Katras to link and that's really interesting also uh, and then the other half is the kind of like racial purity theme which yeah. is present in the like house to Kuvma ethos and in the logic extremist ethos so it seems like the Vulcans and the Klingons have some some uh, racial demons they might need to squash. And that's pretty, like, that's some pretty timely shit. Yeah, absolutely. And that was shit that the show got dinged on uh, early on review-wise. Not by us, but by just the general shitbag blogosphere. <laughs> and I guess we should mention, like, generally, this show has been pretty medium-embraced. Like... It has been neither heralded as the next great Trek, and it right. has only occasionally been called an abomination. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely, it's definitely got its detractors, and uh, it must be so weird for the people that made it to like be looking across the street at the low price deli that is the Orville, hmm. you know, selling a warmed over product from 20 years ago for a, a steep discount yeah. <laughs> being like, God damn it. How did this timing work out like this? <laughs> this is such a hard, hard time to create something. I feel yeah. like it, in any time in the last three to four years, uh, people who create shows and programming and radio or anything creative right now, if you're a sensitive person and if you like reading the comments, it's not great. So yeah. I I empathize a great deal with what's going on over at, at House Discovery for that reason alone. I was thinking a lot about the two like mainline Star Wars films that have come out recently. Yeah. And the knock against the J.J. Abrams one was that it's too safe and too much just the Star Wars movie retold with slightly fancier you know yeah. budgets and graphics and and whatnot and then the last jedi being that the knock being that it's insufficiently star warsy and it like takes too many creative liberties with the tone and and everything and i think that uh that is that is the problem with working within a franchise it's like you can push the boundaries and get knocked for having pushed them or you can like play right within the four walls of the of the franchise and have it be like a kind of a nothing burger using those two poles as your metric uh how would you how do you grade discovery well i think it's it's much more a boundary pusher i mean they've 
they've done a lot of things that really uh blow people away like like redesign the klingons and i think that i think redesigning the klingons was a cool choice i think that they are working with this kind of new design language for the klingons yeah. so there's there's some kind of learning curve to that and i think by the end of like by the time deep space 9 came around they had had enough klingons that they could figure out like how to make different klingons look different enough that you could remember who was who and like rewatching this i was like oh fuck that's that same klingon from that other thing like like i didn't realize the guy with all the scars on his face was the head of the house that Lorel yeah. belongs to the first time at all like it it wasn't even clear to me that that guy was a guy that appeared in multiple episodes you they know stopped looking alike on the second trip through in a in a right. really satisfying way I, I agree yeah and i mean i think that the like maybe the biggest problem is the house of core and cole is the leader of it mm-hmm. they all have that red paint on their face and yeah. like that is uh not a detail that is like easy to remember oh like this guy's paint is a little different than that guy's paint mm-hmm. like everybody with red paint looks like cole to me their elocution is clearer as the series goes on, too, it's less mouthful of cotton <laughs> and more like even though you and I don't speak or understand Klingon as a language, like it's it's more satisfying to hear someone speak in a way that doesn't sound like they're wearing wax lips or something. Yeah, I took three years of Klingon in middle school and I just have I don't retain it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Klingon culture credit for you was just <laughs> just eating the family pet. <laughs> got sent to the detention for that, but I got an A. In the same way that you and I were able to to like uh recognize characters from Jump, I was also really enjoying all the subtle moments between characters we hadn't been introduced to until later like especially the way Lorel and Voke interact in the first several episodes we don't really know Lorel at all in the first few and yet she's there and she's around Voke and you and the way she looks at him uh foreshadows what happens later yeah the like I didn't even realize Lorel was one character for like the first three or four episodes sure. I feel like to Kufma's speech about a warrior's greatest achievement is dying in battle, and then you see Georgiou readying the torpedo for the ship to the the trip to the sarcophagus. Like, there's a lot of cross-cut narration happening that on the first go-round of the show, like, I'm just processing story, but now I'm really, I'm really starting to understand and appreciate how much more thought went into how they tell the story, and not just the mechan- not just like the story itself, you know. Yeah, the show is so cinematic in a way that is not uh, native to Trek. Yeah. Man, I can't even imagine the mile-long wall of note cards that they have to keep all these story threads, uh, you know, interlinked for when they shoot it. Because you have to shoot a scene like that with some intentionality so that you get, you know, the right right tone when some character that you're cross-cutting from is talking over another scene. It's it's uh it's pretty impressive, I think. Yeah. 
for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? I also like I grew to like the ship a lot more throughout the series like I I sort of thought uh, the disco was ugly early on and I came to like it the more lived in it became and I especially like by the last episode of the first half of the season they were shooting discovery head-on which makes that ship look the most contemporary federation to me like that looks like a starfleet ship when you shoot it head on in a way that it just looks blocky and lego-y when shot from above (laughs) or from the side yeah i think that i was very concerned when they had they had that like youtube video of here's what the ship is gonna be yeah because it was like oh wow like you got like the intern to design it in like a very basic 3D animation program or what's going on here yeah and they like they didn't show the pizza cutter saucer section wasn't a part of that that big reveal early on so it just really looked plain jane one thing i noticed in rewatching that i really appreciated um like i think that we've both been very outspoken in our love of the character Sylvia Tilly yeah there is a like a lot of subtle stuff about her character that I think we maybe missed the first time that I think is great, and like some of it's a little sad. Like when when Michael Burnham first moves into their sleeping quarters, it's pretty clear that Tilly has basically been given like the worst room because nobody wants to bunk with her kind of a letdown because a roommate is like an automatic built-in friend and yeah the the level to which she's sort of been socially ostracized reads as quirky early on but in the rewatch reads as sad she is like almost as much as of an outcast as mutineer michael burnham and they they treat them the same and and it is through michael and through michael's having been on the other side that Tilly kind of starts to come into her own. But I think the coolest thing about Tilly is that she's a very hopeful character. She, you know, she has, has been given a ton of shit by this crew, like this, this crew that is led by this, you know, hard nosed asshole in Lorca that like, she couldn't be less like, and yet like, she doesn't like abandon hope. She doesn't, she doesn't like wallow in self pity or, in despair or anything she's like she really believes in herself and i think that's really cool like a great character and i noticed so much more about her the second time her character really fits well with michael's in that michael needs tilly's silliness to kind of get over herself (laughs) yeah and tilly really needs the part of michael that doesn't care about what other people think to get over herself they're a great pair, and uh, and I can't wait to see like what crazy adventures they get into next. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is going on? Run! Run. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make 
the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Why? I'm trying to save you. This ship isn't going anywhere. Why? Why? I'm trying to save all of you. Who are you? Did you have a favorite episode on the rewatch? Um, not the first episode, but the second episode. Mm. Boy, that that opening sequence in the first episode where they're like drawing the yeah. Starfleet logo on the planet's surface really like like it was silly the first time. It is almost unbearably silly the second time. Yeah, through. it's super cringy, and the dialogue is. Luckily, the the worst the dialogue has been in the entire yeah. series was was in that cold open. Like it's it's that's the lowest point for the series. It only gets better from there. Yeah, how what a strange choice. How about you? You have a fave ep? You know, as I was watching 
the series, I was excited to watch uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad again. Like, getting to that episode was like, oh boy, I can't wait to watch mm-hmm. it again. And it was just as enjoyable the second time. I <laughs> I love that episode, and it wasn't just that it was the outlier in terms of its construction. It was that character-wise, I just loved the character so much more. I loved how we finally turned the corner with Michael Burnham when we see how crushed she is when Ash Tyler dies in front of her. Yeah. I loved seeing how brilliant she was in designing the way out for them. I really loved seeing Tilly at the party, like, loosen up and be social. I love Tilly being in an acknowledged musician phase right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You need six episodes to get there because, like, you don't feel the payoff of episode seven without all that build to every single character. Like, you needed to wait that long for an episode like that. And the payoff was huge because you really, really care about everyone. Stamets in that episode is amazing. He's so brilliant and cutting and smart. But the head of... Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I really appreciate Anthony Rapp's character arc. Like, he he does... I mean, like, that character got so much to do. And, yeah. And boy, does he rise to that challenge. Like, he is, you know, snippy asshole, and then he starts to, like, lose his mind, and... and you then, could argue like, he's had the heaviest lift. Mm-hmm. He's, he's painting all the shades. He's uh, painting with all the colors of the wind. Yeah. He's <laughs> fucking great. He really is. Yeah, uh, a, a real star turn for Anthony Rapp, who was already a star going into this. I think that same episode is where I really appreciated him as an actor on the show because he plays every emotion. He plays yeah. he plays counselor to Michael. That moment, I mean, you and I argued on, on the episode recap for this show how sort of lame it was that Michael Burnham's secret was that she's never been in love, but... You only see his reaction shot once in that episode, and his reaction to her secret is so heartbreaking. That was great work by Anthony Rapp. He's just fucking awesome. Yeah. A-plus Anthony Rapp. Yeah. All that said about uh, Harry Mudd, I think his storyline is a little weird. I watched the episode of TOS that uh, that character is in, Mudd's Women. Oh, yeah? I wasn't willing to go there. It's a weird app. It's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. I mean, like, it's one of these, like, insanely misogynistic episode premises where he's, he's, uh, he's in the business of selling wives to miners on, like, dilithium mine planets mm-hmm. and, uh, and, like, gets, gets brought aboard under like semi false pretenses and then turns out that the women that he's selling are in fact very ugly but he's giving them pills to make them very beautiful. They really kind of ferengi up what should be uh, a dangerous character. Like they give him the married with children ending <laughs> Which is so unsatisfying to me. Like he is a he's clearly a dangerous person and thinking that sticking him on a couch with his wife is going to is going to resolve this problem. W slash R slash T Harry Mud is Let's uh let's go send him off with this arms dealer. Yeah. 
That'll yeah. solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Especially after he's proven the ability and the willingness to kill them over and over and over again in in a totally sociopathic way, like, right. like enjoying their pain kind of way. I, I I don't know if uh I don't know if he's scheduled to come back at all, but it seems like it seems like the way that we end this is that the Klingon ship of the dead is explode and they've the Federation kind of has the Klingons on the run and then Discovery winds up in some kind of alternate universe or very far away from everything. Yeah, another thing that I got the second time through in a far more pronounced kind of way was just the idea that uh, that Lorca manipulates Stamets into that last jump and then changes the, the jump heading on his uh, on his chair computer. Did he change it? I I mean, we got a bunch of mail about this with a screen grab of of his little pad saying that there was an override on the last jump and and it has Lorca's name on it. This is something that I also paused hmm. during the last episode. It seems I did I did not see these see, see these mails, so it seems pretty clear that this is Lorca's fault. But what we don't know at this point is why he would do that. I mean, it seems like it seems like a pretty drastic measure to avoid being court-martialed, you know? To think about like what might if that's in fact the case, like what might motivate it. I mean, I think that the course of over the course of the show Lorca is his character goes from being just kind of a two-dimensional war man to mm-hmm. somebody who is actually interested in science and and the like exploratory mission of starfleet and has just been kind of keeping that tamped down like does does he see this like okay i've done my my thing forgotten country and now we're gonna go do some exploration like it or not yeah i think it remains to be seen do you like captain Lorca? i don't really i think uh the thing that i love about so many of the Starfleet captains is that they are, you know, sometimes they make hard decisions, but they're, they reveal their reasoning. Like the reason Captain Picard is one of my favorite fictional characters, one of my favorite like heroes of all time is that nobody ever feels like he's like, you know, got an ulterior motive or, or an unknowable agenda. And I think Lorca is... Uh, you know his he keeps his agenda from his crew and from the admiralty and is you know he's very much out for captain lorca first and foremost there are so many reasons to hate him but for for whatever reason i still really like him i i and i it's such a difficult position to defend because he is deeply unlikable and he gets people hurt but i think it might be uh, the Jason Isaacs effect. I just really think his portrayal is fascinating and strong and interesting. I think a bad character, well acted, can make me like the character. And that's that's the case here for me. Um, not overtly heroic. What do we got coming up next? An episode called Despite Yourself, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is, uh, is this the one that is a, a freaks? It is. Yeah, so we've got 
Got a beloved director coming back to the series. Got to uh, got to get those uh, those god shots out of the way pronto. <laughs> Give us some god shots, freaks. Yeah, and and like we're in an interesting new phase because like it's not really clear how much of the war the discovery is going to be involved with from now on. Like we've got we've got Laurel and like probably Voke or the Katra of Voke or something like it uh in Ash Tyler, but the like existential threat of the Klingons it seems like we'll probably not be there. I mean, like the 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 deal that Lorel and Voke make on the bridge of the Shenzhou when uh, when Voke gets kicked out of out of the uh, out of the ship of the dead is like he has to sacrifice everything to win the war and like to be the one that publicly wins the war. And then we have like imagery of like angle grinders on Ash Tyler. So like, is is Voke dead and like his soul is is hiding in Ash Tyler, and then like will come out at some point? Right. I think I think we need to know the secret of the angle grinder. Yeah. <laughs> what exactly is it grinding? Yeah. Did they use the angle grinder to butcher Giorgio when they ate her? Oh, I don't know. Does the idea that Lorca messed with the final jump throw a spanner into the works of like what Laurel and Voke are working on? Yeah. I think it's interesting that they brought in Frakes for the first episode of of the show being in a new dimension. Yeah. I think it really and and it remains to be seen and I hope we see it, but uh, it really gives him a lot of latitude in what to do creatively, I think. If you want to make a place look weird and other dimensional, <laughs> I think he's a great guy to trust with that vision. He's also a great guy to do a pull out of a pupil on an eye shot, which has oh, yeah. been like one of the one of the late motifs of this show. Yeah. That I feel like he kind of introduced to Star Trek imagery. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so so that'll be fun. How dare they bite his style? <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to getting back on the disco horse with you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, this this horse is uh, covered in sequins. It's got platform shoes and a really, uh, really cool polyester bridle. It's got that poop sack in the back. It's got a bell-bottom poop sack. <laughs> uh, well, thank. Uh, we should say thanks to everybody who's listened. And um, we're not going to do any like P1s or anything on this app because we did not tell the folks at Maximum Fun that we were doing this, so they didn't schedule any. Um, but uh, if you want to get a Priority One message on The Greatest Discovery you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, that's a great way to support the show. And the other great way to support the show is to go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and pick the greatest discovery as a show you want to support on a monthly basis. Um, this uh, this is the first time Adam and I have done a show where it's not just us. Uh, we have our great producer and editor, Rob Schulte, who edits and... Uh, uh, deals with a lot of the heavy lifting on this and 
uh, we pay him for that. So if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to keep keep Rob in his apartment, <laughs> uh, donate to the show. Yeah, the show's only possible because of the help we've been able to hire, and and we thank Rob for all his hard work. He makes the show great. Plenty of free yep. ways to support the show too. Uh, leaving a review, probably the most helpful free way. Uh, you can tweet and Facebook about it. Tell a buddy. If you're watching the show with anyone who doesn't listen to podcasts, hit them to us. Yeah, we uh, have have really been totally blown away by the amount of support we've gotten for this show on, you know, Apple Podcasts and and on social media and stuff. And that's just uh, just like the greatest thing in the world when when people share this show with with their friends. And uh, I think it's uh, like the number one reason this show has has gotten the audience it's gotten pretty great well thanks to all and uh we will be back in less than a week i think with our first episode of the second half of season one MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.